Hello and welcome to the Good Growth Podcast. Now, I can bet all of you listening have ordered something online before, and I bet all of you at some point would have liked what you'd ordered uh, a little bit quicker than when you got it. You may even already pay a subscription so you can receive next day delivery orders on demand, uh, Amazon Prime probably being the most well-known example. Businesses are well aware of this demand uh, for their products and their services to be delivered to their customers much quicker, but this can come at a cost and hit profit margins. So optimizing the last mile of your product's delivery is now a focus of many retailers and grocers alike. And with me to talk this through as an expert in the digital grocery market, we've got former chief product owner at Waitrose, digital director at Lidl, and now today is one of Good Growth's principal consultants, Alex Murray. Welcome, Alex. Good morning, Dan. Glad to be here. Good to have you on. Um, this term, the last mile or last delivery mile, seems to have come about uh, quite recently. Uh, what do we mean by that term, last delivery mile? And, and, and what is the goal of, a, of last mile delivery? I mean, essentially, we use it now to describe the, uh, the final sort of customer delivery going from the, uh, the retailer or the distributor endpoint uh, to uh, a consumer's house, home, work, wherever, wherever it's being delivered to. So it's not really the uh, anywhere else in the supply chain. It's literally the last journey that happens uh, as it leaves a, a, a retailer and makes its way into the hands of a consumer. So, that, yeah, that's the term, the last mile then. Um, more broadly then, just give us an overview then of what the different types of delivery are usually available in online retail. Uh, what would we normally see? Well, there's historically been a fairly limited choice. Um, I think it's helpful just to remind ourselves that um, once upon a time, it was possible, of course, to go to your local shop in the village and, uh, you know, order something from the butchers and they would send it round, you know, on a bike uh, with, with a lad maybe once a week on a schedule or, or you know, you, you call up and order something. And that was that was quite normal. And then back in the sort of, uh, I think started in the late 40s, uh, mid 50s, obviously the introduction of uh, in-store shopping that was self-service as opposed to being served at a counter um, became a concept. And, and uh, generally people loved this because it saved them time, they could choose stuff, uh, there wasn't a massive queue. Um, so that moved to kind of in-store, uh, effectively the early days of supermarket shopping, um, you know, was, was, was very... Uh, revolutionary and and indeed popular, uh, and then obviously with the uh, with the advent of uh, the internet, so we're talking here kind of late nineties, and, and Tesco was probably one of the first, I think, if not the first uh, UK grocer to bring in online shopping um, back in I think it was ninety seven. Um, so we then started to get the opportunity to order goods online uh, and and have them you know, delivered directly, uh, that would be on a pre-scheduled um, kind of slot. And of course, that is still predominantly very, very common, particularly in the grocery space to, to, to choose a slot in advance and, and the delivery will come uh, in a few days. Uh, obviously, that timeline then shortened. So we started to get next day deliveries. Um, and uh, we're now in a space where same day delivery uh, it's quite feasible in urban areas, and we've now moved through into this sort of rapid delivery market, particularly in, in highly populated um, urban areas. 
Uh, and we, sh we shouldn't forget click and collect. It's not a delivery option, obviously, but it is still something um, that is important in the mix because it gives control to the consumer as to when they can get hold of those goods. So it'll be interesting to see how the sort of rapid delivery market impacts uh, click and collect in the mix of options for customers getting what they want. But that's the sort of that's the sort of mix of different types of deliveries. Um, but you know the the the, the pre-shot sort of slot booking option is fine for customers who aren't in a, in a rush. Um, and it's still you know, probably the most widely used one. Next day has been on the increase for several years, uh, and, and there has been this explosion in same day and rapid delivery, particularly since the pandemic. Yeah, that's that's the interesting point here. I think that yeah, the, the amount of uh, same day delivery options, rapid delivery options that have st suddenly starts appearing, particularly if you live in one of those urban areas, you, you'll find that there's perhaps even up to half a dozen to choose from. Why do you think there's been this increase in the number of rapid delivery services? I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. It, it is, has the pandemic simply accelerated what was inevitably coming? I think to some degree. I mean, there's no doubt, obviously, we saw uh, online deliveries in general, uh, you know, spike during the pandemic rather predictably. Uh, and, you know, while that sort of slid back uh, a, a little, I think it has opened up um, you know, that uh, online grocery market in particular and uh, to, uh, you know, to a, a wider audience. Um, I think the increase in, in sort of rapid delivery uh, has been quite a long time coming, to be honest. So, I, you know, I've seen, I've certainly came, come across concepts going back as far as eight to 10 years uh, of people thinking about this and, and the, the consumer demand definitely wasn't there. And uh, I think the, uh, the growing options within, uh, particularly within grocery uh, and deliveries in terms of being able to get next day delivery was still on the up. So I don't know that it was particularly fertile ground actually, uh, sort of eight to 10 years ago. Um, but you know, consumer expectations change. Uh, and uh, I, I think particularly since Amazon introduced, um, you know, Prime and Prime Now in particular, um, you know, that, that, that possibility, I suppose, has been seeded within the consumer mindset that that is some this is something that uh, you know they could access. So I think that, that those are probably big contributing factors. Yeah, I suppose they're answering these questions of consumers of what if I could just get this in an hour or maybe thirty minutes or maybe fifteen minutes. Um, what what are some of the, can you give us a few of those examples that we're seeing now and what the differences are between uh, perhaps different players in. Um, the rapid delivery market and perhaps how this is differing and shaping by different industries as well yeah i mean there's uh, fundamentally i think there are two key there are two key areas that do, that do uh, kind of rapid delivery um the the grocery space uh and the sort of fmcg space is uh, is a very big one so people uh, wanting or getting grocery items or i should say items uh, readily available from a large grocery store, for example, which does, of course, include, you know, um, non-food and things like batteries, uh, for example. Um, so you've got the you've got the kind of food area, and then of course you've got non-food. But you know, the really big players, obviously, in non-food uh, around rapid delivery uh, are really just Amazon and uh, primarily Argos, who offer Argos Fast Track, uh, which is the same day again, same day delivery service. So those are the key ones. Um, there are some doing it in, in fashion. Um, there's not quite as much demand for you know, rapid delivery within, within the fashion world. 
Um, but certainly, you know, if you've run out of something, uh, you know, in your home and you need it kind of now, um, then, you know, th that demand, I think, is slowly, it's not so much increasing, but the awareness that that, that problem can be solved in a cost-effective uh, manner is becoming more and more apparent to people. So an example was last night, um, I uh, we, we went to put on the dishwasher and we realised we'd run out of dishwasher tablets. It was always a, a very common scenario. Um, so my option was I either have to, at nine o'clock, uh, you know, put on my coat and my shoes uh, and go and find um, uh, probably a very overpriced dishwasher pack from my you know, local corner shop, or I have to get in the car and go and you know, find a supermarket. Um, but actually, I was able to go onto one of these sort of rapid delivery services uh, and uh, find some dishwasher tablets very easily. Oh, look, there's some other stuff here. Yes, I'll have a bottle of wine. I'll have some crisps. Um, you know, I'll get maybe get something for lunch tomorrow uh, and order it. And it turned up at my house in 13 minutes on a bike. So um, I, I wonder whether these sort of services are um, conceptually, some people think, well, I don't necessarily need this or i'm not interested in it mm. but when people try it they're like actually mm, this this could be really quite convenient in lots of different scenarios so yeah so i think the, there are different players there are different industries uh within the grocery space um obviously that all the big supermarkets are getting involved uh, and thinking about how they might address this particular customer need but the real explosion is really in in the startup space um, and uh, there are lots of completely new players, uh, and there are some existing players, like, for example, Deliveroo and Uber Eats, who already have the infrastructure to do on-demand rapid delivery, uh, who obviously are, are also in on the game as well. So I think primarily those are the three different players, and it does seem to be mainly in the sort of convenience, food, and household item uh, mm. space in terms of product. It's a staggering concept to think that you... you, you talk about your example there i mean it's one that we say yes of course you know this is not too surprising nowadays but actually say that five ten years ago and people would think that you're you're mad even that you could just click your fingers essentially and have what you need turn up at your door within minutes um you talk about how the the, the perhaps larger organizations bigger supermarkets um are looking to respond to this rapid delivery service and perhaps provide a service of their own um, it's kind of a two-pronged question. Firstly, how can such a large organisation, such as a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's or, or Lidl's or whoever, who are, are so well established in their setup and their infrastructure, now compete with these startups who are there just to fulfil a certain need? And the second part to that question is, how much of a threat are they really to their market? Yes, two very good questions. I think um, if we if we take the second one first, how much of a threat are they? Um, I don't think they are short term. You know, the you know the the, the large grocers um, have uh, you know a vast proportion of the grocery market. You know, and, and online uh, sales anyway. Uh, you know, peaked at about sixteen percent uh, of, of total grocery. You know, even during the pandemic, I think it slipped back to about twelve. Um, so I, I don't think there's any sort of immediate sleep that's being lost. But the, the danger always is that the, the sort of short term um, trends that you see become something much more significant longer term. And, and where you see a paradigm shift in thinking uh, with consumers, 
um, that over time, and as the, obviously the population ages and people get more comfortable, uh, you know, with technology and certain uh, have sort of differing expectations as they as they uh, as they get older, um, it, it's often the longer term change that we underestimate and the shorter term change that we that we overestimate. So I don't think there's any sort of immediate massive uh, commercial threat to the big grocers, but I think all of them have shown through. Um, through what they're doing, not all of them, but uh, you know, but, but but most of them are at the very least dabbling or partnering in in the rapid delivery space. And I think that's a recognition of the fact that you want to have your foot in the door um, with these kind of uh, changes in in, in consumer behaviour. Um, because if they do suddenly take off, or they suddenly do take a large chunk of the market, um, how quickly can you adapt? How agile can you be in terms of responding to that? So to your first question, I think the, the grocers have, uh, they, they have opportunities in that they have uh, tend to have uh, a decent funding, you know, they're not sort of VC backed and they're not looking for, uh, you know, to, to, to raise funds. Um, they already have established brands. Um, so, you know, these startups in the rapid delivery space have to spend a huge amount of money on uh, basically making sure that they're visible so that you know their marketing spends are you know are fairly eye-watering particularly early on so for the existing grocers they don't they don't have that problem they already have uh, you know channels of communication to, uh, to to their existing customer base and out into the world on the downside of course they've already sunk a lot of investment into their existing uh, infrastructure so whether that's having their own branded vans or creating their own, um, you know, sort of very large warehousing systems, um, there's a lot of uh, money that's gone into building that operating model, um, and they'll be looking to get obviously value from that. Um, so, you know, some of those assets are absolutely reusable or repurposable for um, thinking about you know new models, um, and I think. What, what a lot of the big grocers are exploring and what a, what a lot of the startups uh, are starting with is this sort of concept of a, of a micro fulfillment center. So you have a smaller distribution space that you can place somewhere, um, you know, fairly undesirable in terms of a location because you're not actually having anyone walking past or going into it. Um, so the prices are a bit lower on that, um, but also the technology and the robotics that you have in that space um, you know, is tailored to a sort of smaller footprint. Um, and the startups are doing that sort of from scratch. Um, and the established grocers obviously need to rethink, you know, some of the use of their space. Uh, so I think, so, you know, there are pros and cons, I think, for, you know, for the grocers, but agility um, and, uh, and visibility are two key ones for success, um, you know, overall, whichever, whichever side you're on. Mm. Um, uh, sort of hinted at it then I want to come on to the, the new entrance into the market and the startups from their perspective. Um, I suppose a key aspect for them um, is stock, surely, because I mean, and I say that because you're ordering off a, a startup app, you want something specific, you're perhaps only ordering a handful of items, that item needs to be in stock. Whereas don't get me wrong, you're frustrated when you're big shot, you order online from a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's and something's not in stock, but you've ordered your week shops, for example, so you've ordered 30 other items, so you're less concerned. So how, how much firstly is that a, a threat and also a, a burden on these startups going into the market? 
I mean, it's certainly critical. So uh, having accurate inventory and availability, you're right, is, is, is make or break. Um, you know, having, if you're having items that are out of stock, um, it, it soon kills the value uh, you know, of the model overall. I think where we've seen there's been a bit of a development and where there's still a gap between the startups and, and the grocers is that if you are fulfilling orders out of a space that's a shared space that's open to other customers, so say a local convenience store that's open, uh, you can't really guarantee availability um, because obviously you've got people taking things off, off the shelves and taking them to the tills. Um, so the model, I think, that uh, most, not all, but most of these startups are approaching is creating effectively their own dark stores where they have full control of and full visibility of uh, their inventory and they are updating it in real time or near real time. So that is the method by which they can create and guarantee that, you know, that absolute surety around, you know, what the consumers can get. Um, this concept obviously does exist within, you know, within the larger grocers, you know, so at a, on a huge scale, Ocado does this, they don't operate shops. So again, they've got a you know, big warehouse, they know what's there. Uh, and indeed, lots of the other grocers also have, um, uh, you know, dark stores um, that they operate out of uh, as well. So um, it is critical uh, and uh, having things in stock and also not losing time trying to talk to a customer about substitutions or alternatives. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it just breaks the commercial model. You know, it, uh, that conversation will make an order very quickly unprofitable. So it needs to be avoided altogether. You talked also about the uh, huge marketing uh, overheads that startups will have in order to, to establish themselves. What, um, what, what, how do they structure their cost models? Because like you said, there's a huge expense there. How can they become sustainable? Well, there's, three, uh, there's, uh, there's, one, <laughs> there's one main factor and two main levers, uh, essentially. So um, the, these models are rarely profitable at the outset. Uh, and usually their investors know this. You know, there's a degree to which they have to scale in order to achieve the economy of scale at, you know, and, and find some, some path to profitability. Um, growth is very critical early on because you need a critical mass of customers in order to, you know, to move along that path to profitability and get the scale. So a lot of the early investment uh, is around marketing and visibility to, to, to drive um, volume. That, you know, that's really important. When it comes to the underlying commercial model, um, there are two key levers. Well, without wanting to oversimplify it, but essentially there are two key levers that, that these startups will use. One is that they will uh, uh, have control of and be able to influence the price of the products that are being sold. So effectively, they can add a markup to whatever the price of that product might be. So they can increase the, the product mm. margin effectively. And the second, of course, is the delivery charge, um, you know, which um, obviously off offsets some of the cost of delivery uh, and may even bring in, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of profit as well. So those are probably your two key um, kind of levers. Uh, and then you add on to that, obviously, volume and, and scale. Um, and again, you know, the, the, the large grocers have, um, you know, they, they can't really mark up their own prices. So they're a bit of a disadvantage there. Um, you can get differential pricing in the market. So, you know, convenient outlets, so your Tesco Express, your Sainsbury's local, uh, will generally have a higher 
product price than you know the large format stores. So you know, it, it can happen, but the consumers only have sort of so much tolerance there. Uh, and then the you know the delivery charges again the format of that and the the uh, the economics of that are quite different because on the rapid delivery model you are effectively doing one maybe two possibly you know three uh, uh, deliveries uh, at the same time but you might only be doing one so you know the the, the cost is is just that order uh, when you're doing you know a big bulk delivery in a van uh, that's pre-scheduled you might be delivering 10 20 um, you know maybe 30 orders uh, all, all in one you know one van and one hit so um, you know the, the the cost model isn't complicated necessarily but the big question is to what degree can it be flexed so you know all of the current rapid grocery players you know are charging somewhere between about a pound and three pounds uh, as their delivery cost uh, some of them might offer free delivery when you get over a threshold some don't um, but if i look back five seven years that delivery cost was nearer five to seven pounds for rapid delivery and obviously that doesn't make a lot of sense if you're ordering 10 pounds of goods to pay seven pounds for delivery you might pay two um you probably would pay one you know for the convenience of it so um you know i, I think the operating model has been optimized enough to be able to lower those delivery charges and that and this is a really key point in the rapid sort of delivery market getting traction is that those improvements in you know micro fulfillment centers um, uh, and that kind of delivery model being optimized enough that those prices can be kept low enough that customers don't look at the product prices and go this is a third more than i normally pay and they don't look at the delivery cost and say it's disproportionate to you know the value of the order that i'm, I'm placing mm. so really optimizing your own internal or your own logistics is crucial then in being able to keep your own cost down and then obviously deliver more appealing uh, price points to the consumer um what uh, what about click and collect then does that just die out slowly um i mean i think there's there's probably always a role for click and collect although uh, I've, I've never forgotten um somebody said to me once that click and collect only exists because a fast convenient affordable delivery option does not <laughs> um uh, and I guess fundamentally what's changed is that when you can order a rapid delivery to come to you in 15 to 20 minutes and you can change the location of where that comes to, uh, it does negate to some degree the need for click and collect um, because actually you only order it when you need it. So, you know, one might have had the scenario before where you said, oh, I've got a, a place to click and collect order because I don't know, you know when I'm going to be in to uh you know to, to take a delivery uh but nevertheless you still have to go somewhere to go and collect that order so you know your your plans can't change to the degree where you can't go and collect your click and collect with rapid delivery because it's pretty much instantaneous um there just isn't that sort of gap between i need something and when i'm going to get it and so you know, I, I do think it makes click and collect less interesting. Um, that said, click and collect is far more common for uh, for other verticals, particularly outside of the you know the the, the grocery space. Um, grocery click and collect is still pretty low compared to, uh, to you know to other other verticals like fashion, for example, where it's um, it's much more common. So 
I think over time, if these increase, then then that could be that, that could be a lessening that we see in the click and collect demand. Um, it is worth saying, however, that um, you know the rapid delivery services still only work in uh, urban areas, um, mm. both from a commercial you know cost perspective, um, but you know just just practically. Um, you know, you, you, you can't very easily do a rapid delivery if you're a miles away in the country. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, there, there will always be a role um, for click and collect. It will remain convenient. Um, how, how, how high that demand remains for uh, click and collect in urban areas, I think will be interesting to, to um, monitor. Yeah, ten minute delivery in the Outer Hebrides probably not coming just probably yet. not coming soon. No. But you never know. <laughs> um, I have a final question, and perhaps put you on the spot slightly. This one, but um, what social and behavioural changes do you see uh, this sort of last um, rapid delivery driving in us? Well, I think the first thing to observe, uh, and I've seen this with. Um, I've seen this with online sort of grocery in general. If you look back, um, you know, ten or fifteen years, um, there's always a there's always a dare I say it a generation of people who say, I don't see the need for it. I don't think it'll ever take off. Um, but quite often that's just because they don't have a need for it themselves, you know. And with every generation and every new uh, you know every new individual and family who. Um, who essentially use technology in a fresh way, you will always see this sort of type of change occurring. So um, I, I think socially in terms of the rapidness of delivery, I think it's quite a, I think it's quite a fundamental human desire to want something and get it quickly. And we could debate whether that's a good or a bad thing and whether people should be <laughs> patient and um you know be be made to wait for things because it's you know do it does it encourage us to buy things we don't need um all of these are quite philosophical questions but um i i observe certainly where where i am based um here in bristol where there are a lot of students it's uh, it's clearly very very normal behavior um for you know a certain generation and i do wonder whether the you know the advent of uh, of food delivery in terms of uh, takeaways you know, which has been, you know, in high growth for, you know, again, at least five years, uh, you know, whether, again, that's driving some fundamental change. It's the idea that you can, you know, you don't have to wait a particularly long time. Again, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, um, but, you know, Netflix, you know, we don't have to wait for DVDs to be delivered through the door. We just switch on our TV and we stream and off we go. Um, you know, do, do we pay more in our uh, Netflix subscriptions than we previously spent on, um, you know, blockbuster video cassettes back in the day. Well, probably. Do we like the convenience, and are we prepared to pay for it? Yes, we are. So I, th I think in a connected world where people can access things readily, quickly, uh, with minimum inconvenience, I think it's quite a fundamental um, sort of human desire. Um, again, quite what that does to us, sort of social. <laughs> It's up to debate, but I don't yeah. think I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And of course, technology absolutely is an enabler. Um, you know, to, to to think of something that you that you need or want uh, and get hold of it, you know, more quickly probably than you've ever been able to do before. Well, it's certainly not going anywhere, um, and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out in the market over the next uh, sort of twelve to eighteen months. Alex, brilliant to get your views and expert 
insight into this market. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. Cheers. Bye.